0: Hey guys, this is Brandon, the host of the Ask Brandon Anything show. This is the show where we take the most awkward, difficult, challenging questions that are keeping you stuck in your relationships and stuck in your addictions. We break them down, we discuss them, we validate you, we give advice, and we empathize. And most importantly, we help you find truth so you can get unstuck. If you have a question, whatever it may be, go to BrandonPatrick.com and submit a question there for the show. Okay, hey, you guys, I have one of um the most incredible therapists that I know of here with me, Taylor Madsen. Uh we work really closely together. He's here at my clinic in Therapy, Utah. And um one reason why I really wanted him on the podcast is I just see his clients getting results and healing from the hardest stuff. And um some of the feedback that we get, some of the best feedback we get about Taylor is about his couple's work. And um, I think you kind of pride yourself a little bit. I love on, working with couples. Yeah. Which means you're glutton for punishment a little <laughs> bit. <laughs> a lot of therapists, believe it or not, won't do couples work. It's too hard. They don't want to yeah, step Yeah, we hear in that, that a lot. Yeah. And uh, I, I love it too. And that's why we're talking about the topics we are today and Um, Taylor is not afraid to say the hard things. So I think sometimes with, with couples work, um, people want the, the answer that feels good and sometimes that's not the answer that's helpful or they'll
1: come in wanting to be told the hard things and then not like how it feels.
0: Yeah. So when, when you actually reflect that back to them, it's like they, they, they don't want to hear it. Right. Yeah. It's hard. Sometimes the, the, the pathway to healing is through some pain. And, um, especially with couples, a lot of, a lot of, uh, a lot of the time in order to get past something, it takes self-reflection and it takes shame, resiliency and really digging deep within yourself. So, which
1: is not a born skill. No.
0: (laughs) So you come into a therapist like Taylor and he's really good. He reflects it back to you and it's like, ugh. now I got some work to do. Here's some
1: garbage. Go ahead and swallow. (laughs) Go ahead and process
0: that (laughs) up and enjoy it. So. Um, You guys, we got some incredible questions, and we're not going to get to all of them. We got like 20 questions here, and uh, the the, the topic was how to deal with difficult things in your relationship. So um, we got kind of some broad questions. The one I want to start with is uh, quite simple, but it's how do I I overcome what other people think and not become defensive? So any thoughts on that,
1: Taylor? Uh, Defensiveness is something that... I think every couple I've ever worked with over the last several years has come in with. It's what we call one of the Four Horsemen of the Apocalypse of Marriage by the Gottmans. Mm -hmm. And the antidote to defensiveness is owning your own contribution. Which is, and so the tricky part of that, Taylor,
0: is the the antidote is owning your own contribution when your emotional mind is firing off and saying, defend. Um, I don't like what's happening right now, one of the last things you want to do is flip that on its head and own your own stuff, right? It's kind of the opposite action of what your emotions are telling you to
1: do. Yeah. Yeah. So how do you learn how to do that? It takes a lot of shame resiliency. Mm-hmm. I like to use the metaphor of Houdini. He used to invite anyone from the audience to come up and punch him in the stomach because he said he was impervious to pain. Mm-hmm. And he would—he didn't know what he could take and what he couldn't take. And so one day he had an inflamed appendix and this young college guy came up and punched him right in the appendix and it burst and he died. Oh my gosh. So like start in the shallow end, like start <laughs> with what you can take and st- You know stay away from what you can't take so like think of houdini like tighten your stomach and lean into where you think you can work first don't jump in the deep end of the pool and um secondly it takes a lot of practice it takes a lot of humility and lots of people pride themselves on humility when really it's just self-deprecation and those are two very very different different. yeah very different things um and this isn't like yep i'm a terrible person it's okay this is my piece it's not owning everything.
0: Right, right, right. Okay. I like that. So I, uh, just a little while ago, I was talking to a couple and they were like, let's work through the hard stuff. And, um, and so I was like, okay, like pick, pick a topic. Like where's a struggle in your marriage? Let's talk about it. And um, the guy said, well, let's talk about sex. We don't have sex enough. And, and she, she was sitting there and I saw her get flooded immediately. Just (laughs) just, and, and she, she, tears started welling up in her eyes and, and she she started shaking a little bit and, um, and I, and then she turns to me and she's like, yeah, no, I'm willing. I'll do this. (laughs) And I could tell, um, we started into it and it didn't go very far because it, it turned quickly to her regulating herself calming herself down and then and then really talking about the triggers that were in the way of her being able to talk effectively with her partner about this topic that's so triggering to her. And there's a lot of stuff there, right? And so um, I think I think I, I really like what you said about Houdini. So um, if you want to practice working through hard things and not get defensive, then practice it. And practice it with with things that aren't the most triggering things in in your life. Um, But but find things that are a little bit triggering. Maybe maybe it's about your career, you know, like what your spouse thinks about your career. And, you know,
1: maybe that's a really triggering one. Yeah, it'll be different for everyone, for sure. Because of your life experience, right? Yeah, like with some clients, and I don't do this as much in outpatient. I used to be an inpatient. We'd go lay down on the floor in the hallway. That is super shame-provoking for people. We're like, people are going to think I'm crazy. I'm like, that's fine. <laughs> or we go sing, I'm a little teapot in the hallway <laughs> just to practice that a little practice bit. Practice
0: the shame resiliency and yeah. do something a little bit courageous. Yeah. And, and people might think things about them and they can handle it, right? Right.
1: And something else that comes up for people is they think the camera is on them all the time. And that's exhausting and it's terrifying. And the truth is, most of us aren't that special. Isn't
0: that our egocentrism coming yeah. out? Yeah. Like, I'm so important and everybody's watching me.
1: Yeah, I'm not a big enough deal. No one cares. All
0: right, <laughs> right. Fact of the matter is, is your, your shame is triggering off from all kinds of triggers that aren't even there. Right. Right? People's perceptions of you that aren't even happening. Right? Um, okay, so what, as we talk about defensiveness, what are some common um, signs of defensiveness. If, if, if you were
1: wanting to get aware of your defenses, what are some things to look for? Oh, that's a great question. Um, the word, but will come into it a lot. Okay. Like, but you, um, always and never will come into it. Okay. Anytime you turn it away from yourself and put it back on your partner or other people, turning
0: the tables. So Absolutely. you're, you're butting and you're, you're nevering and you're alwaysing.
1: Yes. Yeah. Or you leave the situation or it escalates really quick.
0: Okay, yeah. So, so you just you uh, you avoid by shutting down, and or you get aggressive and attacking, and it escalates. Absolutely. Yeah. Good signs of defensiveness. Um, really, it's Taylor. Tell me, tell me what you think about this. It's really being flooded in in with your emotions, right? So you go into fight or flight. Yeah. And the if you're fighting or flying, or, or freezing even. Um, then you're defensive. If if you're not, if you're mindful,
1: then you can you can work through it. Yeah, right? even something as simple as like pulling out your phone when there's a topic coming up mm-hmm. when someone's talking to you. That's a good sign that you're freezing. Yeah,
0: yep. That's a that's a avoidant tactic. Yeah, because the 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 situation is uncomfortable. Right. Um, one thing that's interesting is, in relationships, um, people have a lot of emotions about what goes on in the relationship. And so if my wife has an emotion about something that I did, um, it's healthy for me to be able to validate her, empathize with her, listen to her, not be defensive. It's hard to not be defensive about something that is about me.
1: Yeah, right? at first when people learn how to do this, it feels like you're right. I am a piece of human garbage. <laughs> yes. I make Hitler look like Gandhi. You're absolutely right. <laughs> and that's not what it is that, at
0: all. That's not at all. If, if, you can, if you can look at your partner and understand that they have a right to their own perspective and you don't take personally their feelings, so you're boundaried in your own feelings, you know who you are, then they can say, hey, I'm really struggling because I feel like you're you're just so lazy and and you don't pull your weight around here. Um, that I say that one because that could be a tr- triggering thing to a lot of people. comes up all the time. Right? And, and, and I can say, oh, I want to understand how you're really feeling as opposed to I gotta correct you that I'm not, a, I'm not lazy and I need to tell you why I'm not. Um, and, and so if you can go down that road and the way you go down that road is by not taking things personally, regulating your own emotions, and showing up to listen, right?
1: Yeah, regulating your own emotions is a huge piece. and I think it comes up with a lot of questions um, that we're gonna have. Is there's something really peculiar that happens when your heart goes 100 beats per minute. There's four things that happen epinephrine and norepinephrine are released Kay. and cortisol and adrenaline are released by the kidneys. Those four things are special because epinephrine and norepinephrine don't have enzymes. That means there's no little pac men running around between the synapses in the brain, the, the spaces between the nerves that can break them down. So they're going to float around for 20 minutes after your call. Y-
0: yes, this is interesting.
1: And so your brain is already going to do some things that we're going to get into. Cortisol and adrenaline are the hormones of hopelessness and helplessness. So if your brain already gets up to that point, your heart's racing, then the part of the brain, the neocortex, that's in charge of logic and rationality, it's kind of like your Spock, that stops receiving blood. It goes dark on a brain scan. Okay, okay,
0: I want to reiterate that. So what Taylor just said is, Rationale and logic shut down when these chemicals went out for golfing. Yes. Yeah.
1: No longer present. And then the frontal lobe, the part that's in charge of seeing the big picture, impulse control, decision-making that shuts down as well. It no longer receives blood. So all you're left with is the reptilian brain that you talk about a lot. Right. And so you're kind of like a chimp throwing his poop in the zoo. <laughs> like if you've ever done anything, you're like, why on earth did I say or do that? Or probably easier to think of people that you've seen like on the are like why on earth did that jerk do that? Right they're probably just running on a reptilian brain. Yep. Yep. It takes 45 to 60 minutes for adrenaline and cortisol to filter out by the kidneys and 20 minutes after you are calm for epinephrine or epinephrine to be filtered out. Right. So it's really important that you're aware of your own emotions and I think a lot of people aren't.
0: So so what Taylor's saying, like this is so good. What what Taylor's saying is when we say flooded we literally mean flooded. You're flooded Two with chemicals. Of your
1: brain is offline.
0: Yes, and so your brain doesn't have the the ability, really, to to process rationally and logically. And so, I, I think what this suggests is instead of trying to force it in that moment, when you're flooded, you're in your emotional mind, and you're there with a partner who's flooded as well, and you're both just throwing crap at each other. Right. Um, then, um, you're going to actually flood yourselves more and more and more. So, um, one of the, one of the most important tools to not be defensive is to recognize that being flooded is, is, is okay. That's human. It's, it happens to us. Um, but giving yourself that space, and allowing yourself that time to, to self-soothe, to calm down, to let those chemicals work themselves out so you can come back to the, the conversation or the relationship and actually
1: work effectively, right? Yeah, and that's some of the hardest work that couples will do. Because when they come, they're like, "No, we got to solve this problem that we came to therapy for." When like, "No, we really need to practice like taking a break." You throw two anxious down.
0: attachment people in there, and right. it's like, "Hey, take a time out and calm yourself." They're like, "No, no like, we breathe need, in we need Jesus, to... breathe
1: out peace." Yes.
0: <laughs> you don't need to fix it right now. You're not going to fix it right now. Yeah.
1: Um. It it won't work that way. The metaphor I use with couples is you have to be like a sniper. The slower you are, the smoother you are, the smoother you are, the faster you are. So if you can slow it down, you're gonna solve the problem quicker.
0: Ooh, I like it. Um, Oh, that was so good. So say that again, the slower you are, the smoother you are. Here, you say it.
1: So slow is smooth, smooth is fast.
0: Smooth is fast, I I like it. Okay, so that, that, that flies in the face of a lot of what we've been taught. Uh, uh, because our parents' relationships were so unhealthy. and <laughs> Which it, is why
1: I'm a therapist. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so you can learn this stuff yourself, right? Right. Yes. Y- you know, it's the, it's the whole notion of never go to bed mad at each other. Um, fix oh, it now. Absolutely it's, go to bed mad at each absolutely. other.
1: Absolutely. Like take a break for an hour. Let your kidneys take care of the work. Don't think about what you should have said or going to say. Do some yoga. Go for a walk, whatever. Come back If you get flooded again, take another break. If it's like 11 PM, midnight, you need to go to bed. You have work in the morning, go to bed. Absolutely. Um, When, when we talk about your brain getting flooded, um,
0: what doesn't help your brain in in those moments is midnight and tiredness and fatigue, you know? So you don't have to fix it right now. Take care of yourself, get some sleep. But it is important, you, you, you remain defensive, I would argue, if you say, okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna time out, I'm gonna self-soothe, but I'm also gonna now avoid ever coming back to any retribution or um, discussion about this topic. So I have now effectively used this tool of, of, of uh, taking a break and let my brain calm down to sweep things under the rug and really abandon my partner. Uh, right? So um, as, as important as, as it is to understand your brain, calm yourself down and have those tools, it's just as important to come back and work through things. And I
1: think that's probably the single hardest thing I see couples try to implement is taking a break and coming back.
0: To actually learn how to do yeah, that consistently so and effectively. Yeah,
1: Absolutely.
0: Um, okay, I want to add one more thing to this. Uh, we could talk about defensiveness probably for... <laughs> Yeah, ten episodes here. Um, but another thing to 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 understand is, um, you'll get more defensive if uh, the the more the more faulty core beliefs you have, and the more shame you have underneath there. So, if you can reprocess a lot of that trauma and shame, and not have so much so many faulty core beliefs. Um, then they're not gonna hit you so hard. The fight or flight won't, won't trigger off. So, um, you know, doing some trauma work, doing some EMDR, um, really working on yourself so that so that you're not over um, attached to your partner for your self-worth um, will really help you not be triggered into that. You know, the, the, the chemicals won't fire off, so to speak. Yeah, right, absolutely. Taylor?
1: Yep. Yeah, yep.
0: Okay. Um, Let's go to another question here. Um, What to do when you get stuck in a conversation and
1: neither of you can see the other side?
0: (laughs) Sounds like what we're
1: just talking about a little bit. I think a lot of that comes back into play. Another thing I would add is 60% of the problems in any relationship are unsolvable. I love that. Which is maybe incredibly discouraging to hear but also a lot of it is um, stuff that doesn't matter there. Absolutely. You can work around. I was like, how do you put the toilet paper on the roll? Absolutely. Um, how does she get her toothpaste wet on the toothbrush like before or after? Most of it doesn't matter.
0: Right. I was, I was like three years into my marriage and I, I learned something that was so critical um, for me and changed my marriage. And it was, you know, I, I got married and I was like, yeah, like I'm, I'm healthy and I'm just going to be the man and and, uh, I'm going to teach my wife how to, uh, you know, how healthy I am. And um, I I had some humble pie and um, learned that that's not the way things work. And um, every argument that we got in was an argument to try to convince each other um, what is and what should be. And what I learned, what I was taught was if you really want a healthy relationship, then it it comes down to what you just said, Taylor. 60% of, of, of things aren't resolvable. So it didn't matter whether or not my wife and I agree. We Like, that doesn't matter so much. Some things we need to work through and get come to an agreement or a sure. compromise. But for the most part, um, what matters is that her and I feel understood and know how to understand each other. And so whether we agree or not um, really like doesn't, it kind of doesn't matter. And, but, but at the end of that interaction or conversation, if she feels loved, validated, heard, and seen, and I do too, that's, that's a relationship right
1: there, right? Yeah. And that's mostly, I'm sure that there's more specifics to this question, but on the generality, I, I think that that would be it.
0: Yeah. Um, that I think that's why, you know, Brené Brown is kind of defining all these things, and she's the rock star of the century. But one thing that she talks about all the time is empathy. And in the end, I think what empathy is is actually just, just understanding, is just really understanding with the other person. And, and so if you have an empathetic relationship where you understand each other, then you won't feel stuck, right? Yeah. Um, now... Could you give any like specific little pointers to like communication tips
1: when yeah. you're spinning and you're stuck and you're stuck? Like, yeah, take a break if you need one. But when you come back, if you can use your own words to hand it back to them, in, it, instead of saying like, so what I hear you saying is, um, if you can throw the therapy language out, great. Kay. If you need that at first for training wheels, perfect. Use Kay. it. But use your own words like, you know, you're pissed, you're upset. Extra points for putting the emotion into your own words. So if they're angry, put a little bit of anger in your words and then bring the anger down. Like, yeah, you're really pissed. You're upset. Like, Oh, and meet yeah. them where they're at. Yeah. Interesting. That will yes. have the right brain, the reptilian brain, feel understood. <gasps> and that's more important than someone understanding logically that you get it. And that will soothe the reptilian brain. Yeah. Oh, uh, oh that's
0: interesting, Taylor. So... Um, so instead of just, like, putting on a show, be honest with your emotions and your feelings, right? Yeah. But I would also guess don't attack. Don't right? attack,
1: yeah. And, and you don't have to meet the intensity of their emotion, but, like, get up there and then bring it back down, and that will mirror for them soothing. Kind of what's going on. Yeah. Yeah. And then you will, like, kind of bring it back down yeah. for them, and they'll come down with you.
0: That's good stuff. Okay. Um... So Taylor said something in the beginning of, 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 this episode. And what you said was the way out of defensiveness is owning your contribution. Okay. So that when you're stuck in a relationship, uh, or when you're stuck in the same topic and you're spinning and going and going and going, um, chances are there's, there's some defensiveness in there. Yeah. So the answer to that question is stop. And instead of trying to convince them to see things your way, own your contribution,
1: right? And that will get you unstuck. If you can recognize the pattern, you get to have choice in that pattern, right? So owning your contribution is
0: not, you know, I, you know, I'm stuck talking about this because you won't stop. Uh, And that's not owning it. Owning it is, you know, I'm choosing to stay stuck. Um, because really I don't want to move forward because I don't trust you and I'm scared to be too intimate with you. That would be owning it, right? That's just an example. Yeah. Um, but yeah, stopping and really self-reflecting and owning what's going on with you. Okay, let's do one more question, Taylor. Um, let's see. Okay, this is a, this is a, a fun one. And I, I know Taylor would like to talk about this, so um, <laughs> So I'm a peacemaker, married to somebody with narcissistic personality disorder. Now, basically, now what? What do we do with that?
1: There's 17 different directions we could go. In. I, <laughs> yes. That's an exaggeration. And we don't have a ton of context right. behind it. so Narcissists will marry one of two people, generally. Okay. They will either marry a peacemaker because they will sacrifice themselves and everything else to avoid conflict. Yes. Which helps maintain symptoms of narcissistic personality disorder. So there will be an unhealthy pattern in the relationship that will be maintained by virtue of being a peacemaker. So um, if I may go out on a limb without knowing more, they're probably not a peacemaker. They're a conflict avoider. And those are two different things. Very different. Because FDR was a peacemaker. (laughs) And he also fought a hell of a war, part of my language. (laughs) Um, So let's not assume a peacemaker is someone that never like steps into something. Right. The second thing (laughs) is um, a narcissist, and I'm not sure that this applies here, I don't think it would, will marry someone with borderline personality disorder because those two pathologies will fit nicely together like puzzle pieces.
0: Yikes, yeah.
1: Yeah, so Um, I mean, that's a different bunny trail. We're not gonna go down that. Yes. So uh, a narcissist will always find someone that will allow them to maintain what's going on a narcissist wants to be comfortable they want to be admired they want to keep their fragile ego in place and anything that challenges that they will avoid
0: but their fragile ego um is masked with uh like a really strong ego right like they're they're yeah, stro- it's they totally
1: m- a front it's yes. the poser that you talk about a right
0: lot. right and so well, and, and narcissists can be very. I, I think a lot of times, if our audience is listening, you think of a narcissist and you think, um, you know, out there, boisterous. You know, like a lot of people call Donald Trump a narcissist, right? Because he's just like out there. And, but narcissists um, can it can be very, it can be very subtle and tricky and manipulative. And so, to 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 understand. W- whether you're married to a narcissist or not, it, it can be really tricky because they, they can
1: look good to everybody else. No one else would know it. Like they wouldn't be someone like, Oh yeah, they're totally narcissist. Like president Trump, you brought up.
0: Right. Like obvious, like obvious, boom, narcissistic, whatever. Right. Um, I think, I, I think your point that the, an actual peacemaker is very different than a conflict avoider. And, but a conflict avoider, peacemaker type, um, aren't they just ripe for um, manipulation,
1: emotional abuse um, by that narcissist? Absolutely. Um, narcissists. Um, I can't think of an exception to this rule. Are always emotionally abusive. Right. And often. I can't either. Physically abusive. Yes. And so, what has um, women and men? Stay in a relationship like this is that there are these hooks. I'm um, Usually, the hook is there's a honeymoon period where everything goes really well, mm-hmm. and they're like, oh, they're gonna stay like this. Right. So, that's one hook. Other hooks usually come in the um, form of, like, the kids will be messed up by the divorce, or I can't. So, I'm staying
0: it. no matter what.
1: Right. Yeah. Um, I can't make it financially on my own. Um, I right. Security. Right. Absolutely. There are these hooks, and if you can't identify the hook that keeps you in the marriage, you're not choosing to stay in the marriage, you're stuck in the marriage. Yes.
0: So, so are you in that marriage out of fear or out of love? Right. And if, and if it's fear-based, if it's about security, how it's going to mess up the kids, then, then you'll continue to avoid that conflict because your, your mind is telling you
1: survival means to keep this relationship together. Right. right. As, yeah. And, and I know it sounds like I'm advocating divorce. And I just want to be clear in the seven years of doing couples work, I've only had two couples divorce. Right. And so what I mean by hooks is I truly want people to identify the hook so they get to have choice. And when you get to have choice, you get to have power.
0: Yes. Okay. So, but I do think Taylor, if somebody who who is this conflict avoider peacemaker really f- Identified those hooks, got mindful, realized that they, they truly were in a relationship with a narcissist. Um, then, chances are, if, if you've been doing this for years, this song and dance, um, when you start to make some changes,
1: your relationship's going to get harder before it gets better. Oh, it gets so much harder. Yes. And it's scary. Yeah. Um, so, um, while I don't approach couples who are like, you need to get divorced. Divorce is absolutely a necessary escape at times. Yeah, yeah. Um, But I want to address a couple of those hooks if we have the time. Yes, let's do it. Um, The kids are never a hook. And what I mean by that is there was a massive longitudinal study that found that children of divorce are actually better adjusted than children of a single nuclear family. Oh, interesting. Fascinating. There's this conventional wisdom that children of divorce are messed up. Right, right, right. So the kids aren't a hook. In fact, um, lots of people have, and, and I'm going to use this really strong word, have deluded themselves into thinking that it's just between them and their spouse and it's not affecting the children. Right. I, I promise you that if you're walking on eggshells, your kids are walking on eggshells. No
0: question. They can feel the energy in that house.
1: They yeah. know what's going on in the relationship. As tough as a divorce would be, it would be a blessing to the kids if yes. they're walking on eggshells. So kids aren't a hook.
0: But and, and sometimes I think that the kids thing is uh, an excuse to, to not go through the pain of, of, of a divorce. So right. it's like, well, they, they are the hook. I don't wanna hurt them. But in reality, it's
1: maybe, maybe you're, you're, there's another hook, right? Right. And so there are real hooks and there are perceived hooks and kids are always a perceived hook. Yeah. Which is, which
0: is, that's an interesting thing to say. And I think some people listening who are saying, no, I've, I've stuck it out for my kids in my marriage. That could be a hard thing to hear.
1: It is much more unhelpful for a kid to be in that situation than to be a child of divorce. Yes, I I totally agree with you, Taylor. And it's job security for you and I, which you do not want to give us job well, security. Well, it's little T
0: trauma, like yeah. over and over and over again.
1: Well, it's actually capital T trauma. Yeah. To be walking on of eggshells. We call it chronic stress. Yeah, yeah, exactly.
0: Yeah. Um, so, so basically what you're saying is keeping it together for the kids is not just... Um, like the right thing to do for the kids, it actually harms them.
1: Yeah, if you look at the Leaning Tower of Pisa, the reason why the Leaning Tower leans is because it was built on an underground swamp. It didn't have a firm foundation. And the marriage is the foundation of the family. And the parenting is built on the marriage and the kids are built on the parenting. And so if the marriage is crap, the parenting will be affected and the kids will be affected as a result.
0: And, 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 you know, unlike the Leaning Tower of Pisa... It, it won't turn into this beautiful, weird tourist attraction thing. <laughs> <laughs> Come see my kids. <laughs> <laughs> Come see my kids. They're kind of different, but they turned out in some way. Um, so that's, that's a great point,
1: Taylor. Um, so, okay, some other hooks that you can think of. Um, finances are often brought up. And so if finances are a hook go talk to the bank, go see what options there are, maybe talk to a lawyer. Not find because, out what's in your control. Yeah, find out what what's in your control. Talk to a lawyer just to find out what's in your control, not because you want to get the divorce rolling, or maybe you do, whatever it is, but just so that you have knowledge, because knowledge is power.
0: Right, right, that's good. Um, okay, I I could go on and on. You know, I've, I've worked with domestic violence, where... A hook is, if I leave him, he may kill me. He may beat me up. And I think that's a real hook. That right? one is always real. Yeah.
1: When a domestic abuser, there are two kinds. There are cobras and there are pit bulls. Cobras, um, their heartbeat never raises when they're beating you because they don't care whether you're yeah. there or not. Pit bulls Um, are the ones that are dangerous to leave and you need to have a safety plan in place. They are the ones that are isolating you from your family and friends. They're the ones that you have a honeymoon period with. They are more dangerous from the time that you leave to two years afterwards. So those are the ones that you want to have a safety plan in place, like where can you go? Do you get a protective order in place. That is the only real hook that I've seen that has substance. Yeah.
0: So you trust your emotions on that one to kind of make sure things are settled, then start making a plan to work your way out. And this is a whole other topic that we, we could really get that into. That needs its own podcast Yeah, absolutely. Series, yeah. Um, all right, you guys. So uh, we need to wrap up. Taylor, thank you so much. Thanks it's for having it's me. It was great talking to you. Um, if you enjoyed this episode you guys please rate and review the podcast and also please share it if we're doing this because we believe that it can be helpful for somebody so if we've talked about anything that would be helpful to somebody that you love and somebody that you know then please share it with them and um have a great day we'll see you guys